and welcome to Beyond Consulting, brought to you by ECA Partners, the only podcast dedicated to helping our listeners navigate the wide variety of options they have after a career in consulting. I'm Ken Canera, host of Beyond Consulting and CEO of ECA Partners, a specialized project staffing and executive search firm focused on former management consultants and private equity. Each week, I host guests that have spent time in consulting and made some sort of a pivot or career change. The goal is to help our audience understand all the options they have available to them and ideally learn from our guests, both in terms of what they did right and things they wish they would have done differently. Today, we welcome Matt Sibolsky to the studio. Matt is the founder and principal of Ionia, a specialized healthcare consulting firm focused on strategic, operational, and innovative projects. He has not one, but three degrees, including an MBA and a PhD. Matt is also the founder and host of the Digital Health Roundtable and the Voice of Healthcare, a podcast that examines the intersection of the healthcare industry, digital health, artificial intelligence, and a growing number of groundbreaking innovations. Prior to founding Ionia, Matt was a consultant at Deloitte and a professor for the University of Alabama in the Healthcare Administration Department. Matt, thanks so much for joining us. You have uh, quite a unique background. Oh, thanks, Ken. Um, And that introduction was very kind of you. Um, I went to school forever, uh, and I always have this idea. I want to have an interesting sort of extraordinary experience in my professional life. And uh, I think I'm finally getting there after all that education. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, uh, no, that 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 is really uh, qu- qu- quite the quite the path to get there. Diving right in, Matt, the you know, in terms of today, we're hoping to kind of cover a couple of things. So one, we'd love to talk about uh, Ionia and your firm and kind of what it is you guys do. Um, and then the second part, and I think this is the, the thing that our listeners will really find most interesting is just independent consulting in general and how you've kind of built a an entire brand around what you do. Um, and then maybe we can dive into what you did before in terms of uh, your your time at Deloitte as well as when you were a professor. Um, and then we can kind of wrap things up. But does that, does that work in terms of uh, some, some, some topics for today? Yeah, perfect. Wonderful. Happy to share. I'm glad to be in conversation with you, Ken. Excellent. Well, thanks so much. So, so tell me about Ionia. So first of all, am I, am I pronouncing it correctly? Yeah, so uh, Ionia is interesting. It actually comes. It's the uh, it's the former Greek warrior state before it became known as Greece. And uh, what they're famous for is this thing called the Ionian Revolution, which was uh, the idea of synthesizing two ideas into one, which the Greeks were known for. Right, the history of philosophy, Plato, Aristotle, um, the dialogues. Uh, the schools of thinking from that world uh, dominate mine. Um, you know, the reason I named the firm Ionia Healthcare Consulting is because when I was an undergrad, I was in an honors program where we studied um, this idea of great works and how to have great discourse, oration, and writing. Uh, we read a book there written by a former graduate of Alabama who went on to get a PhD at Harvard and then also a Nobel Prize. His name is E.O. Wilson. He was known as sort of the father of sociobiology, groupthink. And he wrote a book called Consilience. And it's him sort of dialoguing the Ionian revolution through modern uh, scientific examples. And I thought that was a great name for a company if I ever were to start one, because I take psychology and I take business and I take tech and I put them in a chipino. And I sell that as a relationship to people and hopefully they like what we put together. But it is taking ideas that don't normally go together and putting them together. 
uh, to get outcomes that have value beyond just the balance sheet. The uh, no, that's a really cool name, and 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 we'll get into it in a little bit. But I, I think I think that just goes into one of the things I wanted to talk to you about too. Is just about how you have this unique ability to be relatable, right? And I and and I'll be curious to hear about kind of like how your studies in psychology as well as healthcare have kind of like helped form that. But um, tell me about some of the, I guess the projects and stuff and the clients that you're working on with Ionia. Yeah. Um, so we focus on digital health. And what's interesting about digital health is it's what e-commerce was before we've just kind of rolled it into the day to day, meaning it was unique and different way of getting stuff to you, in this case, healthcare. And then it's just turned into how you get stuff. So it went from e-commerce to just commerce. And healthcare is going from healthcare delivery to delivery your doorstep. And that's where I focus. So if there's a device that's mailed to a patient, we work with how we make sure those patients open it, activate it, and interact with it. If it's a software or digital pay system and you need various insights statistically about how people use it so you can optimize that use, which benefits the patient, right? They can avoid going into debt. They can avoid a... Uh, uh, going to a credit uh, status. They can keep their homes and cars that way. There's a goodwill component, but you can also help the uh, client figure out a way to optimize that use so it's not ignored, it's not fatigued. There are many, many layers to what I do. The reductive nature of what I do with clients is looking at the product, service, or device and considering the human component of the user Uh, We don't look at users in a neoclassical sense of all-knowing. We look at them as sort of panicky, lazy, ill-informed animals, which we all are, who react with emotions. Now, beyond that sort of insight that I offer, there's a lot of strategy involved with that. So if you take that reductiveness of humans are fallible and humans react in emotional ways, but sometimes predictable ways, from that base up to to strategy, to competition, to development, to differentiated models of delivery, all of those sorts of consultative support I've had experience in, and that's where my lens comes from, including how is another enterprise going to look at your product, service, or device? Or client leader, we need you to soften your message a little, or client leader, we need you to emerge from the bushes here. We need you to lead. Um, Those are really important sort of insights in the relationships I've made because I am a psychologist first and I'm a businessman second. So that's interesting. And and I guess the the thing that I kind of wonder is how you get people like, you know, like myself or something, you know, around the idea that, that, that this connection needs to be made because it's so easy for a lot of business leaders to be just super pragmatic and not kind of make that connection from strategy to, I guess, the softer kind of humor, human element. Well, I think it's just presenting this idea, um, taking people off stage, pulling back the curtain and showing them Oz. You know, there is marketing for a reason. Um, there are social and cultural norms of being in a corporate office or a startup or a small business. Um, None of those things preclude us from thinking about a relationship, relationship to the product, relationship to your employees, relationship to your peers um, that never ends. Once I pull back that curtain a little and open it up and say, 
can we think about this in terms of the human component? I recognize there's a balance sheet need. That's why you've hired me. But let's talk about the human component of whatever this is. If you're a consulting firm and we're working on strategy, let's talk about the relationships with the clients. If you're a product firm and we're talking about people not using the product that shows up at their doorstep, let's talk about the relationship we have with customers or how we've considered it. Um, you are you would be surprised, Ken, how often that's forgotten, even though the bodies and minds having these conversations are also human. That makes a lot of sense. The uh, I'm actually not surprised to hear that. So if I think about just the – so we, we have a talent management software that we used for – overseeing our permanent search business and the the like if i just think about like version zero it was i mean it was good it did all the things that the current version does but we took we took absolutely zero investment on design and again it, it worked all the all the data was displayed correctly it, it, there was nothing wrong it was it wasn't buggy at all but it, we just did not take into account the human element that People actually have to use this. They have to. They have to enjoy the experience. They. What happens when they get frustrated because they can't figure something out? Um, and it was really eye opening for me. And we ended up paying a designer a, a decent amount of uh, a decent fee to to get things done. But it's made all the difference in the world. Yes, um, that's a really important factor to think about. I usually operate off of sort of four main principles. Uh, one is that humans are sort of inherently lazy. We prefer to do nothing than anything, right? I mean, the office space sort of dialogue comes to mind here. Like, what would you do if you had a million dollars? Nothing, man. I, I wouldn't do anything. And I love it. Um, that is that is humor and it's satire, but humans are kind of like that. You know, the second part about that is that humans uh, find reciprocity irresistible. If I shake my hand out to shake your hand, you're going to put your hand out. If I smile at you, you're normally going to smile back. If I say thank you, you're going to say you're welcome. The third part about that is that humans um, tend to do what other humans like them do. If I walk down the subway station and I've never been to New York and I don't know if I'm in the right subway or station or not, and 100 people are on the right side of the tracks and only one person's on the left side, I'm going to go stand with the people on the right side. I'm going to mirror my behavior. And the last thing that I operate on, which becomes quite useful, I'm giving away my trade secrets here. Um is that there is a pathway to habituation of human behavior. I can create a product to get people to use it twice a day. Call it toothpaste, brush your teeth, use it twice a day. At some point, you don't think about the brand anymore. You're walking through the grocery and you just grab it. You know, um, sleep, exercise, healthcare-focused behaviors, hygiene, um, the people we spend time with, the emotions we tend to go with. These are habituations of behavior. If you can think about how humans and consumers can habituate, and you think about your product, your service, or your device, that changes everything. So those are the four principles I tend to work off of. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, here's a question. How do you, how do you kind of juxtapose that with not being manipulative? So uh, because, uh, uh, yeah, and I'll, I'll give you an example. So like, for example, uh, Two, two of those four principles I, I was familiar with, not not all four, but I I always wrestle in my own head with like, am, am I being genuine? Am I, and I guess the sec, part two of that question, Matt, is does that come up in your work? It's a good question. Manipulation is not telling the truth while trying to get someone to do something. Coercion is me putting a gun to your head 
and saying, you are going to do this. Uh, influence and persuasion have to be rooted in honesty, truth, and transparency. That's a relationship quotient. And humans are really good at rooting out honesty and dishonesty. If we get fooled for a little bit, the person being dishonest ends up falling back quite a bit because you're cheating. And cheating eventually helps you get ahead. But most importantly, the universe bends back when it's found out and you lose some steps. So the difference between those concepts have to do with the honesty, truth-telling, and, and uh, transmissibility, so not transmissibility, too much pandemic, um, uh, transparency of what your goals are. You know, it's okay to tell a patient, hey, I'm designing this so that you use it more. It would be not okay to tell a patient, if you don't use this, you will die. That's, that's not fair. That's manipulation. Okay. All right. No, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. No, I just, with, I mean, it's kind of like with, with great power comes great responsibility and, uh, and the work that you do, you know, directly impacts patient experience, which is a big deal. Right. And, and, a, and a very, and a people are in a very vulnerable, can be in a very vulnerable spot at that particular point in their life. Right. But, you know, patient experience is the wonder drug of the century. Um, if you can build people's confidence, their trust, if you can integrate them with a tool or just thinking about how to take care of themselves in a way that almost becomes invisible, uh, there's not a drug that can beat that. Um, that's really human will. And over the millennia, we've shown that humans have great will and persistence. And if they choose to achieve it, it's there. But believing in it is part of that quotient as well. And granted, it's not always, you know, really heavy, dramatic things. It's pre-diabetes and you want to lose some weight. It's your hypertension is a little bit out of control. Uh, there's a few things you have to do to be responsible for that. How do I make it easy and visible and, and, and optimize your nature as a human to achieve a baseline that keeps you alive, healthy, and happy? Um, yeah. So good question, Ken. Yeah. Th and thanks for the examples too, because the one thing that I've found in the world that we operate in is terms and and words are kind of like thrown around all the time and so you know i hear digital health and design and i'll and i'll repeat them but i you know on some level i'm like yeah i don't really know what that means so that 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 really kind of like helps paint a picture so when you think about okay merging kind of like psychology as well as business as well as kind of healthcare did you always have an idea that that's where you wanted to kind of go with your career uh, curious to hear a little bit about that you know, I get asked this question a lot and I thought about it and uh, I don't know if anyone, not many of us have said where I ended up was the co the course I charted. You know, I tend to be somewhat of a probabilistic decision maker. And what do I mean by that? Uh, there are limits to cognitive psych. There, there are limits to the cognitive capacity of the tissue between your ears. One thing that we do know about the way the mind thinks is we're terrible at future prediction for ourselves as far as how we think we're going to feel when X or Y or Z occurs. Um, if that's the case, then most of us have doors in front of us. And, and what ends up happening is those decisions of those possibilities we make in the present moment. You know, so maybe you had two job offers, you had one job offer, it's keep the job you have or take this other job. And it's a probabilistic decision. Where do I think this other job is going to take me? 
or where do I think my current job's going to take me? And you choose. And you do that over and over and over again professionally. You do it personally. You do it with your family. You do it geographically about where you choose to live. You do it in your community, what communities you're going to be a part of. Some of those probabilities win in your favor. Some of them don't. But every time you make a choice, there's a bevy of choices thereafter that do the same thing. So to me, the goal is keeping my probabilities in check and trying to make the best decision in the moment that I have with the data I've got in front of me. The biggest decisions in our lives and our careers are made with the least amount of data. That is the reality. An employer hires someone after three dates, basically. That'd be like me marrying someone after like two or three times and seeing a portfolio of, you know, <laughs> their life and saying, you're the one. I mean, it, 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 it might be a winner. And that's a great story. And uh, sometimes it is for a little and then it ends. So the question is a good one, but it's no, I did not chart this course. I ended up working uh, in Hilton Head after an acquisition of a few hospitals with a Fortune 500 firm. I was working in RevCycle and uh, we were doing a financial software transformation from one system to another three different hospitals. I was a liaison to the CFOs and to the patients and to the parent companies of both the IT firms and the the hospital entity uh, corporation. And uh, we were spending all this money, process, people, software. And I was a young guy. And I remember meeting lots of people in the area and a lot of retirees. Um, a A hobby of mine is cooking. So I spent a lot of time in the grocery store. Plus, I didn't make a lot of money. So eating in was what was happening. And those people recognized me as the guy that handled billing and claims and revenue at the hospital. And when things started going awry, when I was at the grocery store pulling produce, people came and tapped me on the shoulder. I don't understand the statement. Why do I have a credit on this? Why didn't my insurance cover this? And I was not at the office, Ken. And so I started thinking to myself, why are these people who have somehow achieved retirement, right? you have to be smart, you have to be a, an achievement person to reach retirement, confused about this thing. And I have a career in it and I can't explain it well. So I started doing some digging because I'm a curious guy and I came across this tool, behavioral economics, this, this academic sort of faculty, which, which came into decision-making and people's perception and understanding and I went to one of the leaders at the firm and I said, you know, I think that if we um, if we focused a little bit about how people read their bills or how we sent them or maybe the, the, the perception and framing of this, we might get some really interesting results outside of spending all the money on the hardware and the process. Let's, let's look at the people. So it was really a nudge from the Internet and popular culture like Richard Thaler and Kahneman and Tversky and Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow and all these cool books that were coming out and Dan Airely's Predictably Irrational and Flow and all these concepts. It was a nudge from pop culture, basically. And I took it to my leadership and said, could we do something like this? And I said, sure. How do you propose it? And I said, oh, send me to get a PhD and let me use your data to finish fast. And then when I come back, I can uh, be a PhD on staff and I'll be like this data guy. And I did that. And of course, life changed and things changed. And the next thing I know, you know, I'm a medical school professor, I am uh, consulting with Deloitte, and then I started my own company. And then I never really looked back. 
that's interesting, especially your point on uh, on pop culture, right? Because it's uh, we we know about these kind of concepts and ideas now, right? Because they've worked their way into pop culture. But yet it's funny because even though we're well aware of that, it's the very ideas and concepts that they're talking about that kind of still limit us. Um, and um, your 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 analogy about kind of like uh, probabilities and choices, um, there's a good book. Uh, I think it's called Stumbling Upon Happiness or Stumbling on Happiness by uh, Dan Gilbert. Right. And and he basically says, like, yeah, you're, you're the analogy is you're on a boat, you know, and you can go left or right. And, you know, ultimately, like happiness just comes down to do I have the the ability to make the decision to go left or right because we're gonna we're gonna end up living with our choices regardless no matter how kind of ridiculous they are yeah and you live with the choices you didn't make too <laughs> yeah yeah I I spend too much time on on those but uh, so that okay the uh, no that that's 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 really helpful and and I love the example on the the billing right because i instantly in my mind went to i'm envisioning an envelope and i'm and i'm also going through this really kind of terrible time in my life and now i'm getting this horrible bill in the mail and gee whiz what what a terrible experience right and so yeah so so that's really cool that uh you were able to kind of connect those dots all right so i guess on that kind of same line of thinking would love to hear about kind of how you've built Ionia and specifically like, you know, have you used some of these concepts to, to build your, to build your own brand? I mean, you're one of the, you're one of the very few highly, highly successful kind of, um, um, consulting, you know, boutique consulting firms that, that I know of that has really kind of built a brand. Yeah. So, um, that was part necessity to get business and, it is also part accident, I think. Although some people who know me are like, that's no accident from you. But I, I do think it had to do with three things. Persistence, insecurity, and the sense that I wanted to have an extraordinary career. I wanted to do something unique and different. So persistence was in this thing where I had five graduate degrees, sorry, four graduate degrees, had done all this work. And then I was like, well, shouldn't, shouldn't there be like an apple pie at the end of this yellow brick road? Like where, where's my big job? You know, where's, uh, where's all this stuff? Where's my boat, you know, kind of attitude. Right. Which was young, uh, unrealistic, a little immature, but I kind of sat back and said, well, I guess it was just a good start. So I have all these tools and I've got to build with them now. And that's what someone doesn't tell you when you get a PhD. And I'm sure they don't tell you when you have an MD. And I'm sure they don't tell you that when you get a, you know, um, a rabbinical sort of status or uh, you finish seminary school is that there's an entire thing you have to build now after, after all that hard work, the burden is you've got tools that other people don't. So now you have to use those. So it's another place to go. Um, and we go back to this concept of habituation. You've habituated this pattern of achievement of high things. So it's just not going to stop. So you've got to keep going. And that was sort of a wake up thing for me. But let's go back to persistence, insecurity, and extraordinary. So that persistence came with, okay, I've achieved all these things. So why wouldn't I be able to achieve having a consulting business that's successful? So I started looking into how you do that. I didn't find anything terribly useful. 
I found a lot of things about selling. I found a lot of things about pricing. I found a lot of things about contract structure, but there was not a lot about like how to build this. Um, so I leaned on what I knew. I was a psychologist. What do I know about humans and achievement? That community is success. So I have to make relationships. So I started a podcast similar to what guys in the 80s did when they were bored, which was, hey, man, you want to start a band? And so I started a podcast because I thought it gives me a platform. It gives me the proverbial microphone. You put it in my hands and now you got to listen to me. The advantage that I came to was this community building part. So I wanted to continue this momentum I had of all this achievement with degrees. And then it became like, well, now I want to build a business. So if I can build community and be persistent in building that business, I can use a podcast to have conversations with people I have no business knocking on their door who normally would ignore me. So I looked upon the horizon, what's coming, digital health, voice first tools, AI. All right, let's start a podcast on that. Literally was how it went. I just start a podcast. And I'm just a, a nobody, but at least I can knock on doors and say, hey, Mr. Ken, who owns company, you're a CEO. I started a podcast. Will you talk to me? Uh, I've only had one person in four years tell me no. Yeah. And I, I've had Eric Topol on the show. I've had the former R&D of Disney on the show. Um, I've got, uh, I've had guys from Apple, um, uh, chief medical officer of Teladoc, the former CIO of IBM. Um, I just have been emboldened over time, but it allowed me to have conversations and it gave me a stage. And then at the end of every one of those conversations I had, like you're having with me, I said, what can I do for you? When the mic stopped recording, what can I do for you? How can we help each other? And it's exploded my network, which probabilistically, if we go back to things, opened opportunities to make revenue and work on projects that mattered or were hard or with, with good people. Um, so that's the persistence part. The insecurity part was I always thought I could fail. I was, it was never, I mean, and I got close. I mean, I, I, I had cash flow months that were for people of our world, which were very privileged and lucky, would have frightened people, you know, $5,000 left in my account. What am I going to do? I need a client, you know? Um, so I always had that insecurity when I was in school too, four graduate degrees, 15 years of graduate school education. This PhD might fail. My projects may not fail. My dissertation committee might dissolve and leave. And then I can't finish this degree where I've spent time and lost money, basically opportunity costs to grow a skill set. Um, that was motivating. Now, a lot of people are like, man, that's like terror management theory. If you like threaten someone with, <laughs> with falling off a cliff, of course, they're going to dance, you know, um, but it worked for me. And it also allowed me to be in meetings with people who were impressive and I didn't show up in there and beat my chest and leave thinking I mattered because I had a phone call with someone who wrote big checks or had achieved big things too. It kept me in check and kept me motivated. Um, and that insecurity, I think people can feel it. It's authentic. You know, this guy's genuinely curious. He genuinely wants to succeed. There's a trustworthiness to that. There's a genuineness to that. And I only found out later that it actually kind of helps selling. When people feel your honesty and your genuineness and your eagerness and your earnest nature, because uh, I think successful people can relate to that. Unless you're doing business with someone who's disordered or has some sort of abnormal, abnormal psychological sort of thing happening, it typically works in your favor. And the last part is extraordinary. Um, 
Healthcare had gone through many extraordinary epochs. I wasn't a part of it. You know, the growth of imaging, the growth of antibiotics. And now we're in a phase of uh, getting care in your home or on your wrist or in your pocket with your cell phone uh, through a video call. And we're just beginning. Um, and I thought to myself, God, it'd be really great with all these tools in my chest and this network that I'm building to be a part of something that changes everything. And that's a little bit dreamy. It's a little bit risky, but it also is a motivator. Um, it also kept things interesting and continues to keep things interesting to me. And I, for me personally, and we're talking about me here, um, I can't stand to be a part of things that bore me or that aren't unique. That, you know, I, I've got to stay interested. Maybe I have a little, maybe it's a little of an attention thing. You know, maybe it's a little bit of narcissistic trait. I don't know. Uh, but I wanted my life to matter. And I think being a part of something where I can help build it with other really intentional, intelligent, good meaning people and a diverse status of that to democratize healthcare and change accessibility and just watch these brilliant human beings serve other human beings and create value in what I would consider a really organic reciprocal to go back to our other word way. Um, and so persistence and security and thinking of myself to be extraordinary. And that's kept me just having conversations. So the podcast led to conferences. You know, we've got our fourth one at Harvard this fall. Um, the conversations have led has led to business for me. Um, the sense of insecurity has kept me moving and I think allowed me to have real relationships with, with clients and other peers that, that believe in me and encourage me because I am human and I have my own feelings of fear of failure, just like anybody else. And then the work stayed interesting and I hope it continues to. Um, and so I do panels now on Twitter spaces, live audio. We've been four years into this. I've started a new podcast, Digital Healthcare Roundtable. Uh, I just got back from Manhattan and in a curious way, met with an investment bank and they've agreed to do dinners with me across the country, meeting with people doing extraordinary things so that we can learn from them and create network with them just because there's a mission. Um, and that's going to be a really interesting venture. And none of that would have started if I didn't sort of like start trying to promote myself only through the connection of other people. I, I really honestly believe that if you go out there trying to be on stage just to be on stage and you think it's going to get somewhere for you, it's, you're just going to surround yourself with other empty people that want to be known. There's got to be, there's got to be some reason you're doing it um, beyond look at me and the marquee and, and people can get drunk on that. And I know why, and I know how, um, but the goal for me has been to create business. And now I've got a community and a momentum and I'm, I'm, hoping I can keep that going. I really do. I, I really, I really am hopeful. Well, thanks for sharing that. And, and also just, I mean, so, you know, on the, on the side, you, you've given me so, some, some advice too. the biggest surprise to me, Matt, on, on the, on, on probably your podcast as well as kind of mine is there's this kind of happy accident where I'm realizing I'm learning a lot from the people that I'm talking to. And I'll give an example. I, I interviewed my best friend on this show, okay? I, I've known the guy for 15 years, probably. 
Yeah, yeah, 15 years. Okay. But I learned more in that hour about what he is doing now than we've I mean than we've ever like really talked about. And and it's probably just because I'm there's a forcing function, right? Of of being fully immersed in a conversation, right? There's zero distractions. But like, I don't know, it's 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 helped me be a better listener. Um, but again, not by design, but it's been a really kind of like nice outcome of this. Yeah, it'll teach you how to be a good listener. It'll teach you how to ask the right questions. Um, I feel like I've gotten this education from people. Like, a, I mean, degrees are great, but I mean, a real education. And then you start hearing patterns. What's on people's minds in this in the space you exist in? You start hearing what's popular, what's interesting to people, what they're questioning. And there's a concept that I like to tell students and uh, other folks that I've worked with, which is, Stay on the the expanding edge of the circle of knowledge. You know, what's inside of that circle is what your industry or your silo already knows. That expanding edge is what differentiates you. And these conversations allow you to find that because you're crowdsourcing what's happening. Um, and, it, you know, the things you talk to people about, you remember more, in my, in my opinion, you remember more of like an interaction like this than you do from a book or a lecturer, you know, your mind is made to emotionally integrate with other walking and breathing human beings. Um, If you can do that with these conversations through a podcast, you're just like downloading information like the matrix, because the big part of your back brain is so effective of storing a one-to-one human interaction over a movie, a book, or music even. I absolutely understand what you're saying. The okay, so I guess getting back to the kind of boutique consulting brand and, and that sort of thing, Matt. Um, not everybody is gonna be as uh, nuts as we are and 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 want to put themselves out there, want to create a podcast. What are what I guess? What are some other kind of piece of advice you have for folks that maybe are you know leaving a firm like Deloitte and want to start their own kind of independent consulting gig? The, re- the harsh reality of the modern era of professionals, whether you're – and Ken, you might disagree, disagree with me and that's okay. Um, whether you're a consultant or whether you're working in a corporation as a leader, your identity exists in the ethereal web. Okay. I don't know. I don't know what ethereal means, so you'll have to help, me, help, help me out. I, I think I've got not, the right word. I'm not word. that smart. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me see if I got the right word right. So ethereal – uh, extremely delicate and light in a way that seems too perfect for this world. Okay, now now I exquisite, elegant, graceful. Okay, so not me. <laughs> <laughs> Could be you. I mean, uh, I don't know you in person. Maybe you're the kind of guy that wears a monocle and uses no, knows how to use the power fork. I don't know. Uh, as an ascot, yeah. <laughs> but I think what I'm trying to get at here is um, your identity exists online. If someone doesn't know Ken. They look Ken up. If someone doesn't know Matt, like people are going to listen to this and be like, who is this Yahoo? They're going to, they're going to type in Matt Sabolsky, probably misspell it, try it again. And then they're going to find pictures, audio, websites, papers. When you are an independent consultant or if you're a professional, you have to be quite aware of the perception the public has of you. And the perception the public has of you is the footprint and the fingerprints you leave behind digitally. It is. So 
if it isn't a podcast, it's, you know, a blog, it's interviews that you might have with your friend, Ken, who publishes it and connects you. It's a personal website. I think everyone needs to have a personal website. If you don't have a buttress LinkedIn where you don't pay for uh, the professional LinkedIn, I recommend you do it. Some of the best search engine optimization tool in the world right now. Um, and you can design what keywords and what words are connected to you based on who you follow, what you post, and who you connect with. That's Twitter. That's LinkedIn. Um, it may be TikTok and Instagram and Facebook for some of you listening, depending on what your business is. But you can craft and curate the perception the public has of you based on what you're putting out there. And you can't escape that. And that's if you're getting started in independent consulting, what's your footprint? So that when you reach out to ask a Ken to have a conversation or a Satya Nadella from Microsoft, they can look you up and say, oh, there's legitimacy here. And that translates to big firms who might hire you, partners who want to sell with you, or if you're independent, clients who want to trust you, believe in you, and need you. It also helps you figure out what's needed out in the market so you can craft that. I 100% agree with that. In fact, Matt, you just touched on something big in, call it like the recruiting world that people don't talk about. When someone asks me, okay, how do I find a job or how do I find a consulting project? I always say, okay, let's let's break it down most simple kind of terms, inbound and outbound. So you'd be surprised how many folks are just found on LinkedIn or found because of their personal website, but yet how little investment is done at very senior levels of career. I don't know if it's because of ego. I don't know if it's because of kind of lack of knowledge, but um, most folks aren't willing to kind of, I would say, put the time in to that. Um, and it's such an easy an easy kind of quick win. Um, and then the other thing that you're touching on, Matt, is like, is the outbound component. So, so yes, do, do we have a, a very extensive database of candidates? Absolutely. Is that how we staff a lot of our full-time and kind of project gigs? Yes. But do I remember Matt? 100,000%. And do I talk about Matt with my colleagues? Yes. Now, I can't say the same about every single person that I interact with, but I, I think that's something kind of unique to you and the impression, not only digital footprint that you've put on in my mind, but also just the the psychological footprint that you've or fingerprint that you've kind of put on on, on our firm, which which is really impressive. I haven't kind of broken it down like that before uh, until you answer the question, but that was super helpful. I think our audience will really kind of that th that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's got to stay in the conversation. And the reality is people are dispersed and everywhere. Um, podcasts, websites, LinkedIn, Twitter, whatever the next thing is, it's about staying in the conversation. It's basically a perpetual conference. Um, you want to stay in the game. And that's how you get business. That's how you get opportunities. Um, you know, at the stage that I'm at, it's all about the relationship I create. I mean, even me and you, we've been in a relationship for years. Uh, and it's, I've watched your career grow and your company grow, and you've watched me transition from here or there or grow the podcast or the conferences. Um, and, you know, being in touch together creates things down the line. And, you know, I'm hoping that over the next 20, 30 years, we have a lot more of these conversations and we are enjoying seeing each other succeed. And I think that's another part about this. This is not zero sum. There is so much to create in a world of intangible assets. Create it, succeed, 
root people on when they do too. Do not look at what you don't have. Do not think that you wish you had what they had. Just focus on you and create with them. People will root for you. They will help you. Comparison is the thief of joy. That's, that's that is true. So, someone once told me that. I, I I couldn't agree more. And 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 yeah, no. Um, I mean that's that's part of the reason I asked you early on about kind of the how, how do you how do you do these things and not kind of feel like you're you're manipulative or anything like that. Cause I, to me, like these things have to be very genuine and real or it, it quit, it, it kind of like quickly destroys all the value that was kind of like intended to start. Um, but I've found that, I guess, I don't know, curious to hear your thoughts, but just approaching it from a place of humility, humility and genuine interest has been the best thing that's kind of helped me. Yeah, of course. I can't imagine like forcing myself to like something I don't. You know, um, and if people were honest with themselves about that, it makes life better and easier. Now, on the contrary, let's not be unrealistic. Like, you know, uh, laughter and love never put food on your table, right? You've, you've got to figure out a way to to make some revenues and incomes for yourself. That, that is undeniable. Um, but there are incremental changes you can make towards getting to places that you enjoy the work more. You know, I tell myself and I tell students and maybe some of my peers, this, this, this sort of takeaway, which is um, there's good problems to solve. There's good people to work with um, and there's good jobs to be had. And that's three things you can think about. Like, is it the kind of job I want? Is the kind of people that I want to work with? Uh, and is it a problem that I am interested in solving? And those are three things that you can do. Two out of those really good. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. And like, uh, to to me, like all this stuff. Yes, you're working hard, but it like it should energize you. You shouldn't feel like you're putting energy into the system. Is kind of how I think about it. Yeah, I also think work life balance is vulgar. <laughs> it's just your life. Yes. Stop talking uh, about work yeah. life. It's just your life. I'm I'm forty, fifty, sixty hours in some cases in a job. That's my life. Don't tell me about balance. It's my life. Yeah. And why wouldn't work be part of that? I mean, even if we didn't have modern economy, I'm still working to collect berries and go hunt or find a cave to live in or make a shelter for myself. You're always doing as a human. The number one quotient for life and success with humans is movement. So you're always moving. You're always doing. So don't think about it as a balance. Think about it just your life. I think work-life balance is one of these things that uh, it's become such like a, I don't know, to me, it's a, it's a really silly concept. And, and it was always like the number one question you would ask in a consulting interview, like, oh, well, what's the work-life balance like, you know, to sound intelligent, like, you know, what you were talking about, but. Uh, to me, like the best things. Yeah, I mean, the secret there was there was no balance. You're yeah, gonna be working I mean, all the time, buddy. I, I'm embarrassed to say how many hours I spend on YouTube watching stupid golf videos. You know, be, 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 like, like I probably spend more time doing that than my actual job. And but but um, it's because I I I really love it, <laughs> and and I'm I'm striving to get better. But um, anyway, um, Matt, I. Uh, I guess kind of wanted to, I guess, wrap up today by with two things. So one, we, we try to, we, I know we actually talked about some books today, but we ask everybody that's on the show, what book recommendations they have. And then we kind of put them on our, on our site. Um, so would love to kind of get any book recommendations that you have. And then also just if someone wants to get in touch with you, Matt, um, or listen to your podcast, you know, how would they do that? Yeah, great. Um, so as far as books are concerned, um, my book, 
which comes out next month, The Voices of Healthcare, The Digital Acceleration. Uh, I would recommend that one. Uh, and then otherwise, make sure you're reading. Uh, there are a lot of executives and people that I've met with who don't read. Uh, and reading doesn't have to be just a physical book. It can be a digest of a nonfiction book. It could be a podcast. It could be lecture series. Um, find a way to sort of, um, uh, you know, learning in an entertainment capacity. I, I don't know if you can really be successful without it because you've got to be exposed to the new idea or just a good idea. Um, humans that read a lot. I mean, there is a lot of indexes towards success there. So be reading or be listening or be curious. Uh, and the last question you asked me was, uh, I forgot which one. So we want to, we want them to learn more about Ionia or we want to oh, yeah, listen yeah. to your podcast. Tell us, tell us how to do yeah. it. So you can find me on Spotify, the digital health Roundtable. Uh, just look me up, Matt Sabolski. You're going to have to spell that for our, for our listeners. Uh, Sabolski, C-Y-B-U-L-S-K-Y. But just look up the Digital Healthcare Roundtable and you'll find me, Matt Sabolski. Um, the other way to do it is to go to my website, uh, thevoiceofhealthcare.co, one word. Uh, you can also go to sabolski.com or ionia.com. Um, you can also just look me up on Twitter and all my profile info and links are there as well. At Sabolski is my handle on Twitter, C-Y-B-U-L-S-K-Y. Okay, great. Thanks, Matt. And we'll put all that information in the uh, descriptions as well, just for our listeners. Great. Yeah. And thanks so much, Matt. This this has been seriously really enjoyable, um, I think, for our audience as well as for me personally. So I really appreciate you joining today. I'm flattered you had me. I'm honored, Ken. It's good to be working with you. And I'm wishing you great and big success as always. Thank you so much. And uh, for our listeners, thanks again for tuning in. If you want to tune in each week and get alerted of new episodes, check out Beyond Consulting on either Spotify or Apple. And if you want to learn more, uh, check out our website, www.beyondconsulting.info, as well as www.eca-partners.com. Thanks so much. And until next week, we'll see you then. 